Hi, I'm Maria Theoharis or Velosos, and you're listening to Socialist Podcast on So Organised Style. Stay listening. So Organised Style Podcast acknowledges traditional owners of country throughout Australia. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging. Thanks for joining us on Socialist Podcast today, where you'll find out what's coming up in the world of Socialists. So Socialists, it's a sewing blog for everyone. Today, we've got a special roundtable discussion with two experts in their field, and I know that you'll be as thrilled as I am that they're here. So our first guest is Susan Kalji, and we've got Gabby Brown, and I'll let them introduce themselves just in case you don't know who they are. Delighted to be back here with Maria who I saw, my goodness, a year ago in Australia. That's just a crazy concept now that we're all in this digital universe. Anyway, my specialty is couture sewing. And I think all kinds of aspects of it. I was lucky enough to work at a small couture house in New York back in the day and have developed a business Oh my goodness. First it was custom couture. And then I got into teaching and then an involvement with Threads Magazine. There was a TV show along the way, some books, other things, which I'm sure we'll touch upon during the conversation, but it's kind of couture sewing has been my fascination and my focus ever since. And I think that I just realized I had to figure out a way to make it work. And I think, and I hope that's what that's what I've been doing in all these various aspects for, for quite a number of years now. And I can attest to the fact that when I've been in a class with you, you make everything work. You always oh. find a way to make it work. And I think I love I'll that. Agree. Thank you. Thank You're welcome. You. Gabby. Hi, Maria. It's so good to be back with you. I am so, so thrilled to be meeting Susan Calgy, the famous Susan Calgy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I have bridal couture sitting on my table right now. Oh my goodness. So yeah, this is awesome. For anybody who doesn't know, I currently write for The Socialist, kind of expounding on fit and general construction issues. Sometimes it turns into kind of an advice column for things like getting ghosted on Instagram or how do we take inspiration from social media and not let it encompass our lives. And my background is all in ready-to-wear manufacturing of apparel. I've worked for several large American retailers, manufacturers, wholesalers over the years. Currently, I am taking some time to stay with my kids. And I also do consulting for individual clients and smaller startup businesses who are also apparel uh, related. Fabulous. Yeah, there's a lot of depth of knowledge from both of you. So in case our listeners don't know, I'm a home sewer. And I'm only here as a home sell voice. And I say only because I look to both Gabby and Susan for what I want to know as reputable sources of sewing information. That's very kind of you to say. (laughs) Nice to be thought of as reputable. (laughs) Shall I reword that? (laughs) No, no, I love it. (laughs) Okay. The reason we've gotten together is because there's a lot of information out there for the sewing community and there's various ways that people learn. I know that Susan has a great educator background and we all have different learning styles. So Gabby, do you want to talk about some of the ideas that you've been thinking about when it comes to sewing information? Sure. So as far as sewing information, there's so much right now. Every pattern company is doing sew-alongs. Every sewist has an Instagram. Everybody's posting hints and tips all over the place, and it can be really hard to separate the wheat from the chaff, especially as a new sewer coming in. And I say this, I was lucky enough that my mom sewed, my grandmother sewed. I started sewing when I was a kid, didn't really like it at the time, but got really into it as a teenager. I did have a home ec class, I made a bag, but you know, then I got really into it and ended up going to school for fashion design and having that background. And we had threads in the house from forever, always growing up, there was a copy of threads laying around. So, you know, you get to know these reputable sources of, you know, this is my go-to of where I want to look something up if I want to know how to do something. But a lot of people don't have that anymore. Home ec is not really taught here in America anymore, budget cuts and all kinds of what have yous. So everybody is self-taught which I think is really interesting because sewing itself is a communal activity that is taught and handed down generation to generation. 
So it's cool to see the kind of resurgence of a community approach, but at the same time, like I'm saying, it's so hard to figure out what information is good. You know, seeing all this stuff floating around and not really knowing like, oh, well, this person knows how to make great infographics. Therefore, they must know what they're talking about. But there's a difference between knowing how to use an app to make a cute infographic talking about sewing rather than taking a class with somebody who has performed a technique thousands and thousands of times. That's kind of what I've been marinating on. No, and you're absolutely right. And I find what happens with sewing because people are self-taught, I think that's where the problems start. Well, part of the problem starts because let's say you go to Harvard and you have a degree in biology. You know you know your stuff. So if you go to a biology lecture someplace else and it's crummy, you know that because you're secure in what you know and you can judge what's out there. But if you've never been to Harvard and you don't know anything and you go to a crummy biology lecture and you don't understand it and you don't get it, you don't blame the teacher, you blame yourself, right? And I find that's what happens with sewers. If they take a class or something online and they have a poor result, they blame themselves because they don't have any confidence in what they know. They don't know how to judge this. And then they blame themselves. It all falls apart and we lose them as a sewer. And of course, the problem is You know, I always say, if you want to learn knitting, you don't have to spend much money or take much time to buy a pair of needles and a ball of yarn, and you can knit a scarf fairly easily, and there you have something. You have a scarf. You made it. You can wear it. That's great. Without too much effort. Well, to get to that point with sewing, there's a bigger learning curve, right? You have to have a machine. You've got to do some kind of investment, right, in time and in money. And there's a steeper learning curve there. So you have to kind of stick with it, which is why it was so valuable for those of us who had home ec in high school, because you had to keep doing it, really, Mm -hmm. whether you wanted to or not. You had to turn up every week and it just kind of got pounded into your head one way or another. Maybe you liked it, maybe you hated it, but at least you kind of got something of a base for it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a big challenge to overcome that you got to kind of stick with it a bit, right? Until you get somewhere. And that's hard, even with seasoned sewers, you know, to have people for whatever reason, not to just throw up their hands. Oh, well, I, you know, I, I don't get this. I'm done. I'll do something else. Yeah. And it's almost like when you're exercising, there's muscle memory. And once you stop exercising, those muscles forget. Once you get started again, after a long break, you can pick that up again. Mm-hmm. and you know the experience etc uh, sewing is quite often called a hobby but it's actually a practice and you're doing skill development the whole time mm-hmm. and from a home sewer's point of view that's what I've picked up from talking to people yeah I totally agree I feel like hobby makes it sound a little bit throwaway but to learn mm-hmm. how to really sew it is so technical and it's not just talent driven, you know, like drawing, you know, you sit down and try to draw and, you know, either you're good or you're not, or you can take classes and practice and, you know, of course, build those skills. But sometimes there's a natural talent there. But with sewing, it's just kind of like, well, first you have to know how to turn on the machine and then you have to know what and you, you know, there are all of these keys that go into place and it's not easy to pick up all that knowledge. So to call it a hobby for me rubs me a little bit the wrong way because Mm -hmm. it feels much more like a practice craft in my mind. I I totally agree. And you know, we're in an age of such, you know, instant gratification. You have to learn everything immediately. My sister has a book that's called Learn French in 30 Days. And she jokes that she's nicknamed it Learn French in 30 Years. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, it's not something you learn instantly. It's a big field of knowledge. I had a student the other day who said, I want you to teach me draping. Oh, well, oh, do you have 10 years? You know, like you just said, Gabby, there's a lot to it. It's a big body of knowledge, which kind of gets us back to what we were talking about a minute ago. How do you assess online what's good? You know, there ought to be a good housekeeping seal because there's a lot out there that is not good. You know, everybody in the world, like you said, thinks they can show their stuff or thinks they can do an explanation of how to do all these things. And it's just not true. It's not true. Just because you posted yourself as the greatest teacher in the world on Instagram. Good grief. I don't know how you filter it. I, I, I don't know. Because again, sewers 
have so little self-confidence. You know, the new ones, you get a lousy class, you blame yourself, you don't blame the teacher. And that's just, I that kills me. I hate that. Yeah, I agree. And I do say I get trapped in that a lot because Instagram is about, you know, it's very flashy and you just, you can follow at the click of a button and say, oh, okay, this person is great. And then you dig a little deeper and you're like, hold on a second. That doesn't quite work. I know better than that. But then they have a huge following and you end up saying, well, am I the one who's wrong? Or should I disregard my decades of experience? You know, so it can be really hard to tell. It's really rough. No, it's very hard to tell. And I guess this, maybe this happens in every discipline. I I don't know. Maybe they're lousy violin teachers online. I I don't know, but it's a big issue. It really is. You know, because like I said, I think, a skill set. And I think knowledge, I think they're hard one, you know, mm-hmm. it takes a long time. And we're in a society where people don't want to do that. They want it right away. We push a button and we get it right away. So I, I think that that's a hurdle that we, we have to face with people. Right. And, you know, in thinking about this, I wrote a piece for a socialist about what is the right way? How can you tell? How do you judge this? And a lot mm. of it is, you know, you everybody saw what happened in America with the rise of Facebook and reposting this and that and disinformation just going everywhere. And it's, you mm. know, it can be as simple as just doing a quick Google. Does this person come up? Do they have degrees? Do they know what they're talking about? Does this asking a friend who is better than you are and saying, hey, does this sound right to you? You know, just doing a little back end homework can make things easier in the long run. I find a lot of people don't want to do that. They say, oh, well, I Googled it and I found something, so I'm just going to try it, which can be fine, but sometimes cannot be. And then like you were saying, then you just give up and it's, yeah, it's It's tough. Yeah. And it takes a lot to come back from that. You Mm -hmm. know, if you made a dress and it's an absolute disaster, nobody likes failure. (laughs) It's hard to, okay, I'll try again. That's difficult, you know? And also from a home sales perspective, when you've put in, say, eight hours of work into a dress that doesn't work, and you've had to fit that time in between everything else that you've got to do with your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so depressing. Oh, it's, it's totally depressing. It's the worst. No, it's yeah. horrible. Especially if you made the mistake of telling people you were working on it and then they <laughs> asked you about it. <laughs> yes. Gabby, one of the points that you had raised in your thought process around where to get the right information from was also going to libraries and finding books that are already printed. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of these books are, number one, very expensive, and number two, out of print. Yeah. I try to always go to the library first. That way I can tell if I like a book without spending the money. Mm -hmm. And it could be, you know, an earlier edition, something like that. It doesn't have to be totally up to date. If the information there I can resonates with me and I and I feel like I can easily understand it and digest it and use it, then I might purchase the book after that. I also go to library sales all the time. When we have library sales again, I'll be there. Yeah, they're a great resource. And honestly, like at least here in the United States, you can request things from other states and from university libraries. And you know, there's a whole huge network of places to get resources from. It just takes, again, that little bit of extra digging to get the resource that you need rather than turning to Google and taking the first thing that pops up. I think that's a great idea because you know, this body of sewing knowledge, it's kind of what it is. It's not like any new method of the basic stuff is being cooked up. Mm -hmm. Right? Right, we're not reinventing the wheel. This is centuries old practice. You wanna do a notched cut? Well, you know, there's no new, newfangled method for a notch collar. It's kind of the same that was done, you know, 50 years ago. I think that's a fantastic idea because let's face it, there were relatively few sewing books published. It's not like there's zillions of them. Mm -hmm. And I think back in the day, if somebody published a sewing book, they went to the best, they went to the expert. Like today, you know, you think of sort of the celebrity cookbook, right? There are billion cookbooks out there, but there were not a billion sewing books and there were a lot of really good basic ones. I think that's a fantastic route to take. I really do. And thought of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, since we spoke last on this topic, Maria, I was thinking about just in terms of accessibility, a lot of people learn best visually. I know I am that way. So for me, books and a hands-on approach is really necessary. 
But even to take that a step further, people who maybe they live somewhere really far from an accessible library, or maybe videos are the only way that they, that is their best way to learn. There are roots. I'm not saying there's only one way to do something, but there are some tried and true ways that will stand the test of time. And any way to learn will help you. So. Yeah, I think it's difficult to navigate. I remember when we were I think it was in the early days, you know, I had a TV show for a while on HGTV and DIY, and it was the early days of all of this digital stuff coming out. It was kind of fascinating because you could see that all of the production people were just kind of testing the waters. You know, this was long before Craftsy or anything like that, but it was right at the infancy of this, and they were kind of wondering what form will this take? You know, it was long before any of the social media stuff we have now. Mm -hmm. It was about, it was nearly 20 years ago. So things were, you know, you could kind of tell that stuff was coming, but they they didn't know. And then I think Craftsy was kind of the game changer, you know, mm -hmm. when they came along with the whole video learning stuff. Mm -hmm. That was kind of the big first foray, at least in the sewing world, into that. I think for what it was, it was very successful. I really do. And then, of course, after that success, everybody jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah. And certainly some of those classes were more successful than others. And I think crafts, the people at Craftsy didn't necessarily know always the reputation or the effectiveness of some of the, some of the offerings that they put out there. But I think it was it was a very important big start in getting the big idea of sewing, learning to sew digitally out there. Right. Especially in something like fitting, where I can say, and I'm sure that you also know this, where a good amount of my knowledge comes from is just doing it every day. You do it. You do it. On multiple garments, multiple bodies, on just seeing yeah. it in your face. And home sewers kind of don't have that. To have an accessibility factor of like a craftsy where you can just bring that into your home and see how somebody else is fitting. Saying, mm -hmm. oh, okay, that's why you cut that. That's mm -hmm. why I'm pinning here. Whereas looking at, you know, one of my favorite fitting books is the set of the Vogue sewing and fitting adjustment books. But, you know, you can look at the little illustration. It looks so cute and great. But then you're like, but what am I actually supposed to do? How does this translate? What's in it for me? Yeah. And, you know, you've touched upon the elephant in the room and it is the one single most difficult challenge for everyone. And I don't sugarcoat it anymore. I don't say, oh, yeah, yeah, you can learn. I look, I can't fit myself. I can't. I can't see my back. I always say to my students, there are certain things you cannot do. You can't cut your own hair. You can't do your own dental work. You can't fit yourself, not very successfully. Now, certainly, I see you've got a beautiful dress form there, and certainly that helps. But you still have to know what to do. It's one thing to put a toile on there. Oh, it doesn't fit. Well, okay, that's the first step. And you know, I always joke with my students. I say there's some mythical number out there. Have you fitted your 875 students, people? Oh, you're at 452. Oh, partway there. Keep going. You know, the airline pilot who's 65 years old, he's been flying for a gazillion. He's seen everything. Mm. He's better than the 27-year-old who graduated number one in his class at flight school. Fitting, ugh, it's, the, it's, it's the trickiest, it's the trickiest of all, it really is. And something I've been thinking a lot about lately is developing your eye, right? Yep. Yes. What does something have to look like? You know, I have this online club, right? Which is great. It's a lovely, it's, it's camaraderie, it's, it's a network, it's great fun. And we have a lot of educational content, but I do little demos. And I was talking about hand overcasting, which is tricky. It's not tricky, but it's the one hand stitch that you just have to practice more than the others. And you just have to practice it until you get it right. And I was talking about how it has to look. And that's when I started thinking about, okay, function is one thing. You're, you're doing something to the edge of something, right? You're, you're protecting it. You're stabilizing it. But it has to look right. And that's a very ineffable kind of thing, how something needs to look. How do you know when the fit of a garment is right, right? That's very tricky. That's a big gray area. I remember years ago, my husband bought this suit. I think it, I don't know, it was, I don't know where it came from. He looked like a mobster and it was just enormous. <laughs> and I think he said, well, well can you, you're the expert who fix it. And I didn't even know where I was headed. 
You know, I didn't know what it was supposed to look like. I didn't know how those shoulders were supposed to look. I didn't know how long it should be. I, you know, I, I didn't know what the silhouette should be. I just didn't have any idea. So I think about that, you know, how do you train the eye? And right. of course, the level of appreciation, I guess we could say, is so different in everybody. You know, it's one thing to go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art with an art expert. It's another one to go with me. I mean, you know, we all have different. <laughs> I can say, oh, what a pretty painting. We're the expert. Well, this is a blah, blah. So there are different levels of appreciation, too. So kind of tricky, that. It's very subjective. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really in the eye of the beholder, you know. And, you know, I've done a lot of work with a wonderful pattern maker in Paris, Julian Christofoli. And he's seen some of these forms that are the exact replica of the person, right? Every mm-hmm. single thing. Boy, <laughs> there you are. And he looked at them and he was just sort of puzzled because you fit always to kind of an idealized version of yourself, a smoothed out version of yourself. I mean, you would never fit to every single little lump and bump and this and that. You wouldn't, right? Mm-hmm. You, you just wouldn't do that. So they're perhaps unnecessarily realistic, I guess, is, is what I might say. That's true. I think the true value for me is having my shoulder slopes and having a place where, you know, this is the hanger for everything. So for me, especially my right side is higher than my left. I have scoliosis. So there's value for me in having that in terms of the stance of the form. But yes, I totally understand what you're saying. But I would also say that I have been trained to fit. I say, you know what you're doing. Yes. So that's different. And I, I kind of wonder if a home sewer has one of these ultra realistic things and, you know, just trying to fit too perfectly, too, too realistically to something that is, is not what we do. You're absolutely right. Someone was asking me the other day, well, how do you teach yourself proportion? It's one of those things and I hate to give this answer, but it takes time and it takes practice and you just have to keep doing it. Because your version of what proportion looks good to you is going to be different from what I think looks cool versus what Maria thinks looks good. So it's, you know, it's kind of all over the map. Like I would probably trend towards younger, rougher, edgier, rather than very traditional Mm -hmm. tailoring. Not that there isn't a place for that. But for me, you know, I would go more Tom Brown than Savile Row. And that gets back to what is the person comfortable with? Right. You know? Is it Savile Row? Is it Tom Brown? Is it Aria? Is it, you know, uh-huh. Givenchy? What, what is it? That leads into the fantastic thing about this discipline is that how personalized it can get. I mean, if you want to spend, you know, six months working on a fantastic couture evening gown that's a copy of a Givenchy gown that you saw, you can do that. But if you want to, you know, toss something off in, in an hour, you can do that too. Right. And I, Maria and I have talked about this before, working in ready to wear, you're fitting for an average. Yep. Yeah. Right. So I'm fitting for the average ideal target customer. And then I'm grading out just based on that. So there's no way that every single one of those garments is going to fit 100% of the people who put them on. Mm-hmm. I can aim for 50, that there won't be glaring issues. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a pattern. It's a oh, recipe yeah. and you have to... Yep. Sprinkle in whatever ingredients or make your substitutions as needed. Yeah, I I tell my students, I say, anybody, because gosh, everybody loves to trash the pattern companies, but I say, good Lord, it comes in eight sizes. How could every group of bodies in the world be grouped, herded into eight sizes? No. So I always say it's all it is is a starting point Mm -hmm. and it's sometimes slightly better than nothing, you know? So hopefully a lot better than nothing, but... Yeah, it's a starting point. It, it really is. Maria, what's your experience working You're as the home sewist? I never realized that, you know, when I first started out that I couldn't not be a certain size. So for me personally, it was around size, weight and shape had nothing to do with it when you're younger. But now that I've got a whole lot of different shapes, it's like, okay, I need to figure this one out pretty quick. <laughs> And I'd really love to wear mid-thigh length skirts, but I don't know that I'd want to do that in the summer. I could do it in the winter, but not in the summer. I'm really glad that there are patterns out there. I don't care who does them, but for me, it's a starting point because I don't have the skill to develop 
slopers and I don't want to go down that path. But as Susan yeah. said, they're a starting point and that's all I want. I think a lot of people place a lot of value in slopers, but really the value I find is in blocks. You know, you found this t-shirt works really well for you. Make a block out of it. That's your t-shirt. You do not need to make a sloper to make a t-shirt. I totally agree. And you know, there's certainly people who teach that and, I, and, and they think, oh, this is fantastic. Look what I've got. Oh my God, that is so step one of a hundred. And well, unless you want to go to pattern making school for the next four years, what are you going to do with it, right? So when I taught, I always thought that knowing how to fit and adapt and adjust a commercial pattern was a much more accessible body of knowledge, right? Because that's what I have to think about with my students. What can they get? What can they grasp? Mm -hmm. And, you know, let's let Vogue do much of the work and then we'll get it to work for you. You do not need to draft your own notch collar. Good Lord. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Right? So, yeah, that's why when I see people with, you know, they, oh, I've got my sloper, blah, this is great. Okay, well, good luck with that. Give me ease. How are you going to turn this into right? whatever XYZ thing? You know what, what fab, where are you going with this? And it's, it's just too much of a, it, it's too much of a first step, yeah. you know, and it's, it's fine. If that's, if you want to be a pattern maker, great. Yeah, fine. I think it's a good exercise, but. It is. And I agree. I think it's an interesting exercise because I think if that kind of thing interests you, then it just gives you a little bit more information. And when you see a pattern, it, you kind of factor, oh, that must have been where they started. And I can see that they did such and such. But in and of itself, I think it's a pretty unuseful, much of the time, bit of knowledge. What are you going to do with it? In the same way that my body is totally different from my fit form, Mm -hmm. that my body is going to be totally different from that sloper as soon as I eat lunch. Yep. Well, there you go. Yeah, so where's that take you, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's interesting exercise, but beyond that, I'm not yep. so sure. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And from my perspective as someone who hasn't done any of that training, I now want to have patterns that have where the bus point, where they think the, my bus point is, because I know where it is. I can figure that one out where the waist and hip is so that I can then do those shape adjustments because now I've got to do them. Yeah. Well, and I think that happens. I think you begin to know, oh, look, I'm short-waisted with every pattern. I'm going to have to do this or, you know, my arms are long. I'm going to have to do that. Yeah. I think you get to the point where you do those sorts of things. But again, that falls into the what's an accessible body of knowledge. Yep. You know, what's an absorbable thing mm -hmm. that a sewer can do. And at the start, when I first learned, I wouldn't have known what those points were all about and why you would need to use them. You know, again, it's developing that level of skill with your practice. So at the moment with socialists, we're looking at accessibility and we've actually talked a little bit about making patterns and sewing accessible. Are there any ways you think that patent companies could be more accessible outside of what they're already doing? That's the other point is I think some are more accessible than others. I'd like there to be some kind of consistent review system. I think Closet Core Patterns just started having reviews on their website for each pattern, which is great. So now there's one place where you can go and it is the place to buy it. Mm -hmm. Everybody's feedback is right there. Granted, it's all very lovey, like this was amazing, heart, heart, heart. Okay, yeah. fine, but it's a start. Like the way that Amazon holds reviews and it's just, it's a vast source of, okay, this was my experience making something rather than, oh, now I have to search the hashtag and see how it fits on other people. Or I'm going to go look on pattern review and see if anybody in the forums mentioned this at all. It's very hard to kind of search out that stuff yeah when you're looking for that information. So, you know, for them to own that place for feedback would be really, really great, I think. And in terms of also, then they can read that and it's all housed in the same place and then take that and use that to build their company. And it becomes more of a give and take rather than a, hey, I made this, deal with it. So it's a situation. But being the devil's advocate, is that giving too much credit to maybe somebody who didn't have a very successful experience with the pattern for whatever reason? You know, because if you're like Closet Core, like any of us, so you're a small business person. And hopefully when you put out a product, you, you, you know, you've done your research and you, you, you stand behind it. You, you really think this is good. And then you get somebody who, for whatever reason, 
didn't have a successful time with it. And yet suddenly they post something, it's carved in stone. Is that giving that person too much power over you? I don't know. I love where you're going with this because I do have an answer from my background. Okay. My very last like big, big corporate job, I was managing the technical design department at JCPenney. JCPenney is massive, uh, RIP, but they are really, really quality minded for a price point department store. That's their reputation. So we read every review every day. That's the first thing you do is go in and you have your key items and you read the reviews on everything. It was, oh my gosh, sometimes it was hilarious. And sometimes it was like, oh no, oh no, 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 no. I know that somebody is going to mail me this in a minute. There's, we're going to have problems. Some of the reviews were things like, this yellow short doesn't match the yellow shirt I bought last year. But you don't know what the yellow shirt was. You don't know, what did it even come from here? You know, and that I think is that kind of troublesome comment that you don't really, you learn to know what's not really real and you don't have to pay attention to it. But then you can notice like a trend if, Hmm. okay, well, I've seen Uh, three or four reviews now that have called out that the leg opening on this is really tight. Maybe we need to go back and look at this again and see what we can do to change it going forward. And for something like a pattern company, if they see that, you know, like they keep getting reviews, this one part of the instructions is really hard to understand, then they can go back and maybe rework that a little bit. So it's more accessible. I think there's a lot of value to it, even if you are opening the door for Pandora to pop in with her box. So, But I think if it's an independent pattern company where it might just be one person Mm. to do that, they would have to understand that the reviews are not personal. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be really hard for them because it's just them. Yeah, very much so. And like I said, is that is that person getting too much weight? Yes. Thinking, oh God, I've got to redraft that sleeve. You know, Betsy in Omaha didn't like it. And if Betsy's got lots of followers and then they start saying the same thing without yeah. having had the pattern, then mm-hmm. you know, that's just not really nice. That's and, true. Yeah, and it's 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 tricky. It really is. And it's yeah, I mean, whenever you do anything, you're you're putting yourself out there to criticism and critique. And, you know, I think I've kind of dealt with that by, oh, God, just trying to just, I, I, good Lord, I'd never in a million years say I'm above reproach. But, you know, I just try to make it all so good and so the best, best, best it can be so that well, you're not taking people's time or money and not giving them good value, right? That mm-hmm. you just, I, oh God, I try to go to the ends of the earth, seriously, to make it as good as it can be. You know, like I said, for me, I mean, it, it's, I, I suppose I'm the one who, who I'm answerable to most of all, but, but to, to anybody out there, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of how I deal with it, that, Look, if I say it, I stand behind it a thousand percent. I wouldn't do it if I didn't totally believe in it and think it was worthy. I should do it. So um, I guess that's how I try to head them off at the pass, Mm -hmm. right? And not have that, have that kind of thing happen, you know? Right. I think it gets a little tricky now, especially now that there are so many indie designers who maybe aren't even pattern makers at all. Oh, oh, I totally agree. I, you know, sometimes there will be certain unnamed pattern companies. And if somebody comes in and, you know, I've got a, oh, I'm doing a, a dress from so-and-so. I, oh, goodness. I know that I'm going to have to do a lot of work to bring that up to speed. Because, you know, we have, I have the best pattern maker in the world, I think, do our patterns because, good heavens, I don't do them. I might have the idea, but then it goes to the expert. And um, yeah, and I know these independent people can't do that because, you know, gets down to money, right? And this is a lot of money to pay an expert to do your pattern. And I think those independents, they can't afford it. So again, then they make a pattern that's not good. And some of them are not good. They're they're just not. You know, I I hope I'm not sounding like the, the expert of all time, but I'm just saying that gets back to the depth of knowledge and the care with which you do something. And I think the seriousness, and it's kind of terrifying to put your name on something and put it out there. You know, you mentioned you had bridal couture. And I remember when I was writing it, I thought if I have to rewrite this and look at read this all again, one more time, my head's going to blow up. <laughs> no, I really, I was at that point. 
<laughs> and at a certain point, you know, you just have to, Susan, done your best. <laughs> you, yep. This this is it. <laughs> Turn it in. And yeah, it's so I, I always solve it by kind of, you know, going to the ends of the earth if I can. Maybe I'm terrified of criticism. I don't know. But I think I sort of self-critique and self-police. And also, nobody can know this. If I write an article or if I do something, you can't know the subject as well as I do. That particular little thing, you can't. <laughs> so I know more about this than you do hopefully, or else I wouldn't be writing about it or I wouldn't be putting it out there, right? Which is what makes you the trusted source rather than God. Well, so-and-so no, tire maker who... But, you know, there's a lot to that. You know, I, oh, I mean, I lose sleep at night over these things. Yeah, so, so it's funny. I remember one of the early days we were doing the TV show and I'd forgotten, to, this was in early days, I'd forgotten to mention something that I thought I should and we had a, a break and I said, oh oh gosh, I forgot to, I really need to mention that, that that should be a, I don't know, a five eighth inch seam allowance. It was some technical thing that I really wanted to say. And I said, oh, really, I'd really like to redo this because I, I think it's important. They, they have to know that. And I forgot to tell them. And I remember my producer said, Susan, stop. All you want me to do is keep them in their seats between the commercials. Oh, it was the most horribly sobering thing I'd ever heard in my life. So at the end of the day, it was entertainment, right? And here I, you know, I thought I was teaching the world to sew. No, I'm selling cornflakes. But um, <laughs> so, so there was, a, you know, a bit of a disconnect between my standards and, okay, you know, this is for TV, calm down. Anyway, but but it's it's very tricky. And I mean, hopefully if if you do this on a public stage venue, then you, you do have those inner high standards, mm -hmm. you know, instead of, Oh, Hey, I'm great. They'll love whatever I do. Oh, I'm fabulous. Oh, that's fine. That's good enough. The people that I really look up to and respect are the people who do that, who are really trying to push themselves, who get worried about the things that they say. I, I was reading an article about successful CEOs and how they like rethink things again and again and again in their head before they start. And then again, after, so then they, you know, you take that and, and use that again. But, you know, I feel like if you just say, okay, good enough, then, you know, it's, it's definitely not going to be good enough. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you think, oh, good enough, that's your clue, right? Mm -hmm, no, but, right. but in the vein of what you just said, I, I read an interview, I don't know who, who the interviewer was, maybe Larry King, who'd been interviewing Frank Sinatra. Okay, Frank Sinatra, my God, who'd been singing since the age of 18. And how in the world could he not have it down pat? You roll up, you know, you throw your jacket on, you go out on stage and you start to sing. No big deal. Oh my God. Frank Sinatra said, I prepare everything. I check how is my necktie tied? Is it the right color? How does my jacket look? Is my hair combed properly? Where am I standing on the stage? Everything. And this was when he was, you know, in his sixties and it was sobering. And I, I remember thinking, oof, better be on your game, Calgy. You know, that <laughs> Frank Sinatra was terrified. And he said, yeah, when I go out for the first few minutes, I'm terrified. Then I kind of relaxed. But that was the standard. That's why he was Frank Sinatra, because he maintained this incredible standard the whole time. Right. And I think, so to loop this into something that we had had as a talking point beforehand, mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, what's the most meaningful lesson that you've been given? The one, the one thing that stuck with me forever is that it's actually okay to say, I don't know, if you come back after with an answer. Say, I don't know, but I'll follow up and I'll get back to you. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's okay to make a mistake as long as you can learn from that and use it to make everything smoother going forward or use that mistake to make it work in your practice. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are really, really afraid of seeming like they don't know what they're talking about. And so they're afraid to say things like, oh, I don't really know. Mm -hmm. Let me find out. Or let's look it up together or whatever. But I, you know, it's a really valuable part of your career because if you, at least I think, you know, that if there's one thing I know, it's how much I don't know. I'm always trying to learn and push myself and use that to be better. And that kind of works its way into that high standard of, did I do enough? Am I really trying hard enough to get to this skill level? And, you know, a great time to make mistakes is when you're a beginner, because then there's nobody looking at you saying, well, you should know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's true. And, but that's how we learn. 
you know, mm-hmm. I just, I just finished a little class and I'm working with it on a dress with a gal and it's, it's tricky. It's very tricky. It's got a Watto back and it's pattern wise tricky. And it's, it's just a tricky dress to pull off. Trust me. And I was pinning the sleeve on her yesterday on the, in the back of, on the left of the back sleeve, I was getting a, a rumple. And I kind of know why it's happening because it's, like I said, it's, if I showed you a picture, you'd say, oh God, there's just a lot going on. There's an, there's a stay in there and there's train thing hangs and part of it's in the arm side, but then the seam has to change direction and hang. You're a pattern maker. I should show it to you. Anyway, <laughs> I got it. And when I said, Ugh, I, I, I can't, you can't see it, but I can see it and I'm not happy with it. And it has to be made right. And she's coming back soon for another class. And I said, well, leave it with me because I want to figure out what's going on, right? I I have to kind of, and I'm not surprised that it happened, but I've got to figure it out. So I actually posted it on my club because I always give updates of of the stuff that comes up in classes. And I said, yep, here's the problem. (laughs) I've got to do some excavation and figure out what we can do about this because the dress is so 99% fabulous, but there's this little issue and that can't be there. So I said, I I think I know what's causing it, but I've got to fix it. And that's what's so fascinating between couture, what you do and what I do and ready to wear, because I'm fitting for an average, I can't do stuff like that. <laughs> I, and, and not only just fitting for the average, but I also have to think about the people who are cutting and sewing the garments. So once in my career, I was just doing a t-shirt and I had apparently scooped in the front armhole just a little too much and the curve was not production friendly. So I had to redo the pattern. Too hard to sew? Too hard to cut with the cutter glove. And it's too hard for them to sew that deep of a curve. So it looked great on, but we couldn't do it. And it was just something like that. Like you have to make that kind of sacrifice which I think is why a lot of people say, well, ready to wear is terrible and it never fits anybody. Because a lot of the time, if you're buying your clothes from at that point, I think that particular order was something like a hundred thousand pieces. Like, okay, well, if I'm buying something like this, okay, it's not going to fit everybody. It just, it can't. And that is part of the reason why, but it is so funny to hear that comparison, especially asleep. So, so what a, what a funny um, example, you know, the two ends of the spectrum, yeah. right? <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Gosh, never, never, ever would have thought of that as, right. as and, something you could have to deal with, right? At the time, I was so frustrated. I just thought, oh, come on. I finally got this shirt right. And the fabric was like kind of tricky. And I was like, I've worked with the shrinkage. I figured out everything. And now you're telling me I can't do it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and here I am at the you know opposite end of the spectrum. We've got thousands of dollars worth of fabric to start with. And we've spent a lot of time in this and it's nearly there. And I just, I know it can be fixed, you know? So, and again, you know, there are different levels of worry. I mean, it would be one thing if I thought, oh, we're doomed. This is (laughs) You know, that's, you know that, you know, that's a different sort of worry where you think, Mm -hmm. oh God, no matter what I do, we're screwed. This is never going to look great. Hope she doesn't see it from the back. It's not that kind of worry. It's more okay, well, just have to, you know, take this bit apart and figure it out, Calgy. And I wonder if you have the same thing that I, I used to get this a lot. Sometimes you just know from the very beginning of a project that it's just not going to work. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because, you know, here's a guy I gave a lecture about couture and it was what are the elements of couture? And I called it the couture star because there were like five points. So design is, is special, says something special. Fabric is amazing. There's fit, and you referred earlier to proportion. I always say mm-hmm. the, the forgotten stepchild where there's fit and proportion. <laughs> and there's construction, obviously, but a big part of it is engineering, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, without any of these things being great, the project's going to fall short. And if it's not engineered properly, you're doomed. I don't care how beautifully it's sewn together. I don't care if you're working with the cunha. If it's not engineered right, you're 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 in trouble. It's hopeless. It's terrible. Yeah. There's just it's just that that problem child, you know, like I would get a tech pack and maybe there would be a big personality attached to that tech pack. And they say, well, it has to be this particular thing. And I'm like, well, you can't actually do that in this particular fabric, sir. So <laughs> 
<laughs> and then, you know, from the beginning, it would just be you know, a struggle and you're forcing something to, to work. And then by the end, and you're looking at the sales, oh. and you're like, why didn't anybody like this? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That must be awfully frustrating. I mean, at least in my little realm, I'm kind of the decider, right? I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> it, comes with, it comes with a, a big responsibility, you know. But at least I'm kind of, you know, judge, jury. I mean, it's, it's all kind of emanating from me. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it, mm-hmm. right? Sounds like dictatorship, which it isn't. But, you know, I mean, if somebody comes to you with the, well, if they come to you with a certain thing, you've got to figure it out. This is the dress I want to do. Oh, well, okay then. Let's <laughs> <That> start thinking. <laughs> right. right, right. And how do you, you know, finesse your way into making them want to do the thing that you want them to do well hopefully that's one reason they came to you right because they kind of figure that you would be the one to figure out that pattern or I would be the one to to be able to cook up this dress right hopefully their confidence is well placed so Susan did you have your response to that as well oh about the most meaningful lesson yeah the most meaningful lesson You know, I was lucky enough, as I mentioned earlier, to work at a small couture establishment in New York. And the thing that I found was the most valuable lesson was to, well, we always took our time, which was wonderful. You know, it was sort of the antithesis of a sweatshop. I mean, you couldn't goof off, but we certainly could take your time. And it really instilled in me a love of the process. Not just, I want to wear this dress to, you know, the opera. But it was a love of the process, every bit of the process. And that, I think, I don't know whether the way it was presented is why it resonated with me or it just happened to be the perfect fit. I I don't know the, the genesis of it. But for whatever reason, it created in me a love of the process. And I love every single step of it. I mean, I'm always sitting down at a student. Oh, let me do this basting. <laughs> or, oh, I'll hand over cast that for you. Oh, here, let me do that bound buttonhole. You know, um, <laughs> have to be careful. Susan, put it away, go back to work. But that I think is probably what has sustained my interest and fascination with the art of couture, you know, for, for decades now. It really is a love of every step, every bit of the process. I just find it fascinating, all of it and all of its iterations. And that's the good thing because, you know, you're not making, you know, 17,000 A-line skirts. Every single one of them, like this, this Watteau back dress, every single one of them has its own little challenge because the figure is different. The person is different. The way they want it to look is different. The fabric is different. Every single bit of it has enough variation, endless variation. So- I think that's probably a love of every bit of the process. Of course, you want a beautiful garment at the end of it, mm-hmm. obviously, but um, <laughs> it's a lot of work in these things. And I think if you didn't enjoy it, that would be pretty horrible. And I, I, I had one student once who didn't. And, you know, I think somebody in the class said, you know, Betty, write the check. <laughs> go, to, go to Neiman Marcus and buy the dress. Don't torture yourself making it if you're not enjoying if you're not enjoying the making of it. Thanks for that. Yeah. Now that we've talked about all things sewing, if a listener is out there trying to figure out where to go to for sources to learn how to sew, what advice would you give them? Sure. So, uh, you know, obviously because my background is in ready to wear, that's where a lot of my interest lies. So some of my stuff is more akin to that. There is a place called the Fashion and Race Database. They are really, really amazing and just kind of studying historically how does race work with fashion over, you know, the centuries and what are we missing in this European Western teaching that isn't being taught. So it's a really great resource. And I also like the Slow Factory Foundation, who's doing something similar to this. They are funded in part by Adidas and then other benefactors, and they provide free lessons. I guess they are video lessons for anybody who's interested mostly for by POC. And it's really, they're just fabulous. There's, it's talking about, you know, how does mass production of garments affect the environment and where specifically in the world? And how do we change that? How do we change the conversation? How do we, as a group, as a culture, think differently about 
consumerism. And so I, I really like them. And then we've talked before about Kathleen Fasanella. Yes. Has just an amazing blog. And we and she doesn't update it anymore. It's called Fashion Incubator. And I love all of her posts. And then for anybody who wants to learn how to do design for, you know, ready to wear, Zoe Hong on YouTube is excellent. She just has a ton, a ton of stuff and such a great personality. And she's very easy to learn from. They sound like really great resources and we'll have them in the show notes. Susan? Yeah, but, but to get back to what Gabby said, you know, that's wonderful because sewing is such a huge community, such a huge worldwide community. And I think those resources that you pointed to connect us mm-hmm. to right. that. And that's, that's comforting and wonderful, I think, to feel that, that yeah, we're kind of part of all of that too, you know, in the whole big continuum of it. Right. Even if, you know, so I purchase a lot of ready-to-wear just because I that's my world. But, you know, in terms of sewing, in terms of mass production of textiles and where are they coming from and learning the backstory and having access to stuff like that, I think is really key and central to forming a good knowledge base when you are ready to turn that into, you know, okay, so I know where this came from. I got this beautiful velvet. I had this other crappy velvet, but now I've got this really great one and I know exactly what to do with it or who to ask to figure it out. Well, and especially in a world where we have to be sensitive to those things. We have to have an awareness of all of that kind of stuff we do, or let's face it, we're doomed and it won't matter what we do. It's, it's been sobering for sure. So for me, I suppose in a practical way, I think Threads has a very good base of stuff out there. And as a contributing editor for Threads Magazine, I have to say that I think we try very hard to keep a very high standard with what we do. And people sometimes say, oh, you know, there's been nothing new in Threads Magazine. Well, I think in some ways we've kind of covered it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times can you write about this stuff? I mean, there are always new iterations of it, but an awful lot of the good basic stuff. I mean, I've probably written four or five articles about underlining. Well, gosh, I'll be happy to write another one, but, you know, <laughs> certain basic topics are, we've kind of covered them. I mean, I, I'll write again, but, you know, I, I think a lot of it is, is kind of there, you know, in the, in the, big backlog of what we've done. So Threads is very good. Well, I I have to promote myself or not just myself, but what I have to offer, I guess. We've done a, a number of videos that I think are very good. And I mentioned the club earlier and the club's purpose is it's camaraderie, but I'm a teacher, I'm an educator. And for me, it all comes down to education. So there are a lot of educational things on that. That's kind of the, the backbone of it, I think. So yeah. And, you know, it's funny, Maria, one of one of the things you mentioned, I just have to say that people hear the word couture sewing and they think it's some, you know, hoity-toity, inaccessible thing. And it's, oh, it couldn't be further from that. You know, it's probably the way your grandmother sewed. It's, you know, sewing without shortcuts. It's just a good, lovely, solid way to sew that gives beautiful results. And hopefully people can not be intimidated by it. You know, I always say there's no smoke and mirrors. And I think the thing that I love the most about it, and I mentioned the process, but the logic of the yeah. process, you know, there's nothing woohoo about it. No, it's mm-hmm. dead logic and applied in such a beautiful, beautiful way, but it's logical. So I think that's, it's not scary. It's logical, it's sensible, and you get this stunning result. So that's kind of cool. And look, there's a lot of work that goes into a couture garment, but you're right, it's logical. You get a really good result that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Oh, yeah. I mean, I get asked all the time, you know, what is couture sewing, you know, the person on the plane or whatever. So I, one answer that I give is that it's sewing's equivalent of gourmet cooking. You know, you can get the Julia Child cookbook and you can do the eight-page cassoulet recipe where you go across town to get this and you get something incredible. You get a spectacular result. You know, it's, yeah, it worked. And that's an analogy that resonates with people. Oh, I get it. Gourmet cooking, couture sewing. Okay. Yeah. Special care. If you want to make the most beautiful meal in the world, you probably don't start with a rump roast, you know, you get the filet mignon in it, but you get a a stunning result Mm -hmm. because of all the care that you put into it along the way. Okay. So for getting the basic skills and then developing your skills when you're sewing, you mm-hmm. need to be mindful of where you're getting your information from. Would that be right, Gabby? Uh, yes, absolutely. And also it helps to have an idea of where you want to go with it. Oh, good point. 
do you want to sew couture? Do you want to just, I need a quick capsule wardrobe for my jetting off trip to Greece? Or how do you want to approach your projects and what are you willing to put into it? And then that will kind of inform where you can start looking. Trusted resources. No, and she's absolutely right. So you say, I want to learn French. Well, do you want to be able to order a, a baguette at the local coffee shop when you're in France for two weeks? Or do you want to study philosophy at the Sorbonne and write your doctoral thesis in French? Yeah. Where do you want to go with this? And I think that's so well put. Yeah. Along the lines of what proportion do you like? Everything here is so subjective and very personalized. And knowing that going in will help your journey in the long run, I think. And hopefully, you know, if you get kind of hooked and if you're having success with it, then that journey will unfold too. And maybe it will take you places you never imagined that it could take you. Right. Right. Which is very exciting. You know, if I have a student say, oh my goodness, I never knew I could make this or whatever. How thrilling, how thrilling that is for someone, you know, to open that kind of a door. And that's always the pleasure of being a teacher, right? <laughs> is that you oh, are, oh, you're facilitating oh. the growth. Yeah, 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 you are. Which, and you know, okay, it's all online these days. It's all, you know, Zoom lessons and all this stuff. And honestly, there's nothing like being there in person with a student and seeing them get it and seeing how their hands are working and just seeing how they're they're handling the needle and just seeing it come together. Gosh, there's, hate to say it, there's no real substitute for that. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's taking a class, being with the person who has that knowledge base, and then, you know, they can say, hold on a second, hold your arm a little bit like this, or you're cutting your thread a little bit too long. And that's why it keeps nodding when you're pulling it through. And you're not going to get that watching a YouTube tutorial. No, I was working with this student, you know, one in this little class I had the other day, and uh, she was doing my Parisian jacket pattern, which has a very, it has a gusset, okay, and mm -hmm. some complicated angled seams. So first, you know, we did some practicing on how to sew an angled seam. And I, you know, had her do different versions of that. And then we had to cook up a pattern for the gusset. So I, I helped her with the one side and, you know, and I, I was with her every step of the way, do this. Okay, now you're going to do this, this. And then the other side, she figured out herself. And she got up, I think she was going to the bat and she was taking a break. And she said, you'll see me do the happy dance. <laughs> and she'd figured it out. And it was, she never in a million years thought that she could do that. And she did it. It was fantastic. You know, just That's figure so cool. out what it does. But it was tricky. And she did it. She did. I was so proud of her. And because I knew how proud she was of herself, mm -hmm. you know, and she suddenly has this new knowledge. That's great. That would have been very difficult on a video or a Zoom lesson. And having somebody there as a personal cheerleader for you who really is caring, yeah. that cements the experience in your mind and lets you go back to that resource way more easily than if you're just oh, I have to keep looking up this YouTube tutorial because I can't remember because you don't have that thing that's grounding you to the, the skill. Exactly. And I could say to her, oh, now the pin has to go exactly here. See on the other side? Yep. Right through those two points. That's it. Yeah. We've lost all kinds of stuff. We've, we've lost that. And it's, it's really a shame. I'm crossing my fingers that we'll have some kind of a roaring 20s situation where everybody will be out in person, taking classes, dancing, <laughs> making clothing for themselves to go out dancing. <laughs> oh man, aren't we all hoping for that? Yes, oh. please. <laughs> That'd be great. This has been a really wide ranging and thought provoking discussion today for our listeners. Susan, you've shown the depth of learning your students gain when they go to your couture workshops. And Gabby, you've identified how far ready-to-wear garment manufacturer can go to meet the needs of their buyers. Now, as a sewist, we get to ask the question, does this sewing technique work and is this good sewing advice? And today, we've discussed an interesting thought piece about getting feedback online. Negative feedback from anyone with any level of experience can carry such a burden on pattern and sewing companies. Sewing is certainly a practice and each one of us gets to make that call as to how far we as individuals want to take our sewing development. And really, there's no right or wrong answer here. Thank you, Maria, and you, Gabby, for all that you do to make this offering such a success. And thank you, Susan, for even wanting to do this in the first place. And Maria, always thank you because this is so, oh, every time I get to talk to you, it's such a pleasure. Oh, same here. I would agree with that. 
our darling Maria. Well, thank you for letting me be a part of it. I hope I had something useful to contribute. Don't overthink it. You definitely did. And listeners, thank you for listening in to Socialist Podcasts with Susan Kalji and Gabby Brown and little old me. And have a lovely day, listeners. This episode of Cell Organized Cell Podcasts for Socialists was produced by me, Maria Thea Harris, with permission of Susan Kalji and Gabby Brown. Sound by bensound.com. You can subscribe to Soul Organized Style Podcast, built with an S, not a Z, on all good podcast apps. Post any questions or suggestions you have on our Instagram account at socialists or on the website at socialists.com. We look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time. Stay safe, everyone.